Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 49 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled The Churches of Smyrna and Pergamos. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen and amen. Revelation chapter 2. Uh, last week we uh, started the Church of Smyrna. We got the Church of Ephesus, Church of Smyrna. And we'll finish it up uh, and get into the church of uh, Pergamos today. And what we're looking for is what the church in the last days can look and see what our problems could be, what our temptations are. This is not necessarily about a group of churches 2,000 years ago. Uh, the, the Word of God is the same yesterday and today and forever. And guess what? So are His churches. <laughs> They're the same yesterday and today. So as we're looking into this, we're trying to see our behavior, the problems that we'll have so we're not blindsided. But so with great uh, wisdom, we can move forth in, in the things of God, the Word of God, to see where we are. So as we begin this, my opening verse, as you can quote my heart, I'm sure. As in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. As a Bible student, looking at the New Testament, we're always keeping in mind that the New Testament is written in light of the second coming of Christ. So as it's addressing things uh, in the New Testament, just understand it's the churches and it's individuals, and we're anticipating the second coming of Christ. And as a Christian, uh, we get so caught up in our everyday lives and in what God can do for us or in our own personalities that sometimes we forget the main purpose or what's really going on. And we are looking for His appearing. Amen. And uh, that is where we want to position ourselves. You've heard it said many times, if you're a surfer, which I am not, you have to pad paddle out into the ocean. You have to align yourself so when the wave comes, you're just ready to catch the wave. And that's what the Scriptures give us this idea as a believer. We're wanting to align ourselves with the Word of God so when a wave of God comes, we catch it and we move with it. Uh, this one of the greatest disappointments would be that there would be a wave coming from God, and we would not be in such of a position that we could catch it. And so we're always wanting to position ourselves to catch a wave of God, a move of God, whether it's on a personal level or a corporate level or a national level. So as believers, believers of new life and those watching online, our goal is to help us position ourselves to catch the wave of God and the move of God. So now let's watch this. Now, as we move into the seven churches, uh, always keep in mind and looking at the book of Revelation, the, sef the seven churches, they are seven individual churches, but they also symbolize seven eras, if you will, of Christendom or of Christianity down through the last 2,000 years. So when you look at the scriptures, truthfully, it's layered it has layered meaning, layered truth. Some scripture, uh, scriptures do to a prophetic uh, mindset. 
The first uh, church we looked at was Ephesus. We're going to say that that covers between 31 and 100 A.D. Uh, because if you look at that and if you put the church of Ephesus for the first 100 years of the church, and you put that church of Ephesus up with that church, you can see that it covers kind of that time period. Smyrna, which we have already owned now, we're saying that's a Roman persecution between 100 and 313. So we, as we've read last week, the church of Smyrna will finish up today. It's the persecuted church. We went into last week on why it's persecuted, and we will get into that a little bit again. And then also today we'll start Pergama or Pergamus, and this is the rise of the uh, papacy, papacy or the Roman Catholic Church, if you will. Now, up to this point, the believers in the Christ were believed to be in a sect of the Jews. Now, we covered this last week some, hit it just a little bit again this morning, but as we move forward, it's important to remember this. Believers in Christ were believed to be a sect of the Jews. Now, as far as Rome was concerned, when they saw believers in Christ or Jewish nation, they saw them as the same group of people. Even though there was some internal fighting between the Jew, Judaizers and the new Christian believers. It is here that the division of the Jews and the followers of Christ among the Romans begins. That's the reason you can see when you get to the church of Smyrna in the New Testament, uh, that you can see in, in, in uh, chapter 2 of Revelation, you start seeing the persecution come on the church. Why? It's because of the Jewish believers in the sect, or if you will, the culture of the Jews. There was a division started. Those that believed in Christ as the Messiah and those that did not believe in Christ as the Messiah. This letter shows the tension and the division within the Jewish community. It appears that there are hostilities towards them. The synagogue of Satan is in reference to the Jews that were persecuting and opposing the new believers. So that's a pretty strong, <laughs> pretty strong judgment, if you will, of referring to the Jews that uh, would not receive Christ. Now, so we see that this is a suffering church. And it says that they would have to endure through their suffering. What was the downside of their detaching from Judaism? In other words, they were believing that Christ was the Messiah. What was the downside? The Jews had special treatment within the Roman Empire. The Jewish nation did. Citizens were to worship the emperor and Roman god, Roma. Roma was the god over all gods, so each city had a god over their city to be worshipped. This was unacceptable to the Jewish people, so they were given exemption, provided that they gave sacrifice for the health of the emperor. So the Jewish nation had this exemption, and so therefore they could dwell in the Roman culture and still in their minds uh, stay true to their faith. Uh, so, so the new Christian Jews make a distinction. Now, has everybody got that distinction, distinction in your mind? You got Jews and you got Christian Jews. Uh, were now going to be disqualified from the exemption because the Jews were saying they were heretics. So the Jews push out the Christian Jews, so to speak, or there was a division. And so they could not inherit these um, exemptions from the Roman uh, government. So therefore starts the persecutions, which we talked about last week. In these next two or three slides, I'm going over really quickly so I can get on. So now the new Christians found themselves in a situation where they had to worship the emperor and Roma, which is the Roma was a Roman god that was the god over all gods. Uh, Rome allowed you to have your little gods, but 
they said that Roma was the one over them all. Would they deny the emperor in Rome or would they deny Christ? So when they would not comply, they would be persecuted is what happened. Christians were seen as being against the established order and antisocial. Rome began their move of the great persecutions against these new Christians. We went over that some last week. In A.D. 63, there was a fire that destroyed a large part of Rome. Now, there was a, the emperor then was Nero, but it was said that Nero had the blaze set in order to destroy the old parts of the city so he could then rebuild them to silence the rumors. Nero accused the Christians. So the Christians were, it was really convenient for him to have a group of people that he could blame the fire on, even though he probably said it himself. But that's when the great persecution began because what then, so you got the early Christians. Uh, Paul went to the Jewish synagogues at first up until uh, Acts 28, 28. He went there first. He converted some Jews. And then it says he went to the Gentiles. But then you had this division of these believing Jews. And so the great persecution is begins that now the Jews, the Christian Jews, are at odds with Rome. They're at odds with their fellow brothers, it was at one time, the Jews, Jewish nation, uh, yes. Um, was there persecution, like under Nero, would there have been persecution before that anyway with all this? Of course, okay. yes, yes. Always yeah, no. oh, a national level. Yeah, with Nero, you went on to a national level. Uh, when it was, uh, you kind of had the persecutions. The Jews were well established and they had, Places of high ranking, they 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 had huge influence would be the proper term in the political arenas of these cities of Pergamos, Smyrna, Ephesus. They were respected somewhat. They had to be respected. I mean, can you imagine? They got a special exemption from Rome, right? So they had some type of favor. But then when these Jewish Christians came on the scene, it was really cramping the style of the Judaizers there. Uh, so we see Nero, when it does that, and I think that was a very good point, well taken, it kind of gets on more of a, on a national level of persecution. And so then the sect of uh, Jewish Christian believers, uh, if you will, they got their reputation tainted, if you will, as being a cult is what it was known as. There was Nero, and of course, that was a famous painting about Nero. I don't stay too long on that. But a famous painting of Nero singing while Rome was burning. Then after that, they started persecuting the Christians. Now, you've got to understand, too, the persecution of Christians is a move of the enemy. And, and so the Christians uh, were persecuted. They were put into the uh, Colosseums there at Rome. They were fed to the lines, it said. And, uh, but what Nero did, when the Colosseums were built and these things happened, what he was doing was he was putting on what they called a circus. That's what they called a circus at the Colosseum. And they would entertain the people. Now, the reason he came up with this idea is because Nero was doing all these ungodly, unbelievable uh, acts, if you will. And so he was trying to get their minds off of what he was doing, so he gave them a circus. It's a psychological ploy, if you will, but we need to remember that. Now, I'm not against football, basketball, and all that, but it's a circus. Can somebody hear me? It's a circus to keep us off of thinking about things we need to be thinking about. 
and it's been a ploy of government. And there again, I'm not against football or whatever, but let's call it what it is. It's a circus. I mean, the modern-day gladiators are the football players. I mean, who in the world is worth $5, $10 million a year or something? I mean, somebody give me a break. But you got to understand spiritually what's happening with all this. It's a circus. It's wrong. It's the Colosseum. Look how many football stadiums we have as an example. It's Colosseums. It's a circus to entertain the public, the people, so they'll keep their minds off of what's important. That's the spiritual onset and the spiritual psychology, if you will, behind this stuff. Now, and it came from uh, here with Nero, or the Christians being persecuted. Now, the, we had this martyrdom of Polycarp. He was a disciple of John, first bishop of the church here at Smyrna. And so we got John and we got Polycarp. Polycarp was probably very young. I don't know if I have this. Polycarp was a Christian bishop of Smyrna. According to the martyrdom of Polycarp, he died a martyr, bound and burned at the stake, uh, then stabbed with the f- uh, when the f- fire failed to consume his body. So they put him there at the stake, set fire to him, but the, it said that he, is, he wouldn't burn. So they had to pull out some swords and had to start sticking with swords to kill him uh, is what happened with with. Uh, with Polycarp, I don't, uh, I don't know if we have that type of anointing today or not. But and, and I pray we won't find it won't be tested. <laughs> Somebody say Amen. Uh, it is believed he was born around seventy A.D. Uh, John was already getting old, so then you had Polycarp born, and then you had John getting old. He comes out of Patmos. Polycarp probably went to met John. A great leader of the second century church, again, the problem was between the Jews and the Christian believers. It is said he was burned alive, but he would not burn, so they uh, took swords and they killed him. And that's another famous painting of there of Polycarp, fire not touching him, so they had to kill him with a sword. Now, here's a church of Polycarp in Smyrna. It's kind of a, it's kind of a s- small church, uh, uh, but Polycarp, uh, they were... Uh, they didn't make great tributes to their uh, leaders. But this is inside. The inside looks a little better than the outside, I guess you could say. Uh, But this is inside. It's actually a very small church. The picture there makes it look bigger. But um, this is the church of Polycarp, still there today in uh, Smyrna. Now, prophetically viewed, this church is a picture of the period in history from about A.D. 60 uh, to 320. Church, persecuted church. Uh, Polycarp, you call him second generation, if you will. He was a bishop of uh, the church uh, there at Smyrna. You can actually get some of his writings even today. The whole period has been termed the age of the martyrs. This is when the martyrdom came. And of course, the uh, beginning was the division between the Judaizers and the believing Christian Jews. Polycarp was a bishop of this very uh, church at Smyrna in 155 AD at the age of 86, he was sentenced to death by being burned at the stake. Here's Polycarp. Polycarp could have easily gotten out of his martyrdom, but he refused it, absolutely refused it. And so I've read this little thing I'm getting ready to show you. I asked God, uh, and I've read this, and I have done this a couple times in my life. Uh, At 70 years old, I have gained great wisdom, and I don't ask God this anymore. Perhaps some of you still want to ask him. We will read uh, this little uh, take. The, the author of this is unknown. I asked for strength, and God gave me difficulties to make me strong. 
I asked for wisdom, and God gave me problems to solve. I asked for prosperity, and God gave me strength and a brain to work. I asked for courage, and God gave me dangers to overcome. I asked for patience, and God placed me in situations where I was forced to wait. I asked for love, and God gave me troubled people to help. I asked for favors, and God gave me opportunities. I received nothing I wanted. I received everything I needed. My prayer has been answered. <laughs> Author, oh no. Is that not the Christian life? I mean, to sell Christianity, come to Christ, and all your problems are over. Uh, and in all honesty, this is, uh, I hope you can hear what I'm saying, come to Christ, and I, they really just begin. And, but it's a good beginning because as we run into these problems, God's growing us. He's making us stronger. He's given us wisdom. He's given us courage. And God's given us all of these things. This is what happened with the church in Smyrna with Polycarp. They asked for these things. God delivered. And it ended up with an incredible anointing, if you will, of Polycarp. And he was a person that others wanted to follow. Let's look here quickly. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. He that overcomes shall uh, not be heard of the second death, as we move on here in verse 11. Now let's, uh, uh, in chapter 20 and 21 of Revelation, there are three references to this second death. Now this is in through the church of Smyrna. He says you don't have to fear this second death. It is prepared uh, for the devil and his angels, but it will be shared by those who choose the ways of darkness. It is a terrible lake of fire, the symbol of final judgments called the second death. There's a time of the great judgment and people will be judged and drug over and thrown into this fiery pit forever. Now, we see here, uh, this is a little bit of reference in worldwide persecution. In 73 countries today, Christians are persecuted for their faith. So don't think that it's not happening today. It's also now, this so happens on the increase. One in nine Christians in the world are persecuted for their faith. And that's something. More than uh, 360 million Christians suffer higher levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. Opendoors.org, uh, if you want to see it for more information, it's a good place to go. Opendoors.org, uh, U.S. Each Christian must decide... Will I stand or will I compromise? So where are we today? Where was the church in Smyrna? The question is, will we, we, we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make as a church, as New Life Church, as individual Christians. Today we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. Just like they did it. At, uh, at Smyrna. After our choice, we have a decision to make, if you will. We, make a, we have a choice and we have a decision and then we have a commitment to make. We have a commitment to make and to follow through with it. Would, uh, well, would I be faithful unto death? The letter to Smyrna says not to fear. Somebody say amen. That's what he's saying. Don't fear it. 
Don't fear the second death. You don't have to fear this. Colossians, Paul says, the salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. <laughs> so we know Paul, his prison epistles, and when he was in prison, he wrote a lot of them. He was in prison when he wrote books of joy. Figure that one out. Now, here's the meaning of the seven churches again. Now, we got Ephesus uh, in 31 to 100. We got Smyrna, which represents Roman persecution, which we just finished. Now, we're going to Pergamum. And uh, this is called the, the rise of the papacy, if, we, if you will. This is when, or papacy, some says, this is when that the church uh, leaves the homes and the church is then mingled with the government, if you will, uh, and it is the, uh, uh, the religion of a state of, of Rome. And we'll look at this church as we move forward to see if you think our government, the United States, is not the answer to all of our problems. It's just not. Christ is the only answer to our problems. Uh, now, I want to move quickly, so I want to move some territory here rather quickly. In the book of Revelation, we see there will be, a, now watch this, a dark move that is uh, constantly trying to invade into the churches in the world. So we see we are living in a time there is a darkness, a move that's trying, honest or you think the world's bad, there's more darkness trying to invade the earth than we're seeing on the earth now. There's more on the way. How many times have you said to yourself, I just can't believe it can get any worse? And it does. Am I the only one? And it does. It's because there's more darkness and there's more coming. Now let's watch this. It is being deployed by the spirit of the Antichrist. I wrote this down this morning. It's being deployed by the spirit of the Antichrist. Antichrist being what's against Christ. It's being, there's a deployment coming against the earth and the church. He is paving the way for his master, Satan himself. So we got the spirit of the Antichrist, we got the Antichrist, but you got to understand, he don't think for a minute that Satan believes the Word of God. Yes, he knows it, but he doesn't believe it. He believes he's going to win this puppy. You see, that's what he believes. You can say, well, Satan knows his end. Well, he maybe does, but trust me, he does not believe it. He, he, he doesn't believe God. He knows what it says, but you're not going to scare him with it because he doesn't believe it. Now watch this. Over the course of history, we can see his many moves from Nero, Stalin, Hitler. And as, as I've said in times past, Satan does not know the day of his coming. The second coming of Christ, no man knows. So in each generation, Satan has to have him an Antichrist ready to move in on the scene. So you can say Nero, you say, oh, we got all these figures. I mean, Jews were persecuted under Hitler. Yes. You have all of these situations set up to look just like Jesus could come tomorrow. 
And Satan's doing his part. He is being prepared. He's doing all he can do so that each generation he can move his man in. And there's been quite a few. It's not that you've missed it. It's just that he doesn't know the day or the hour. So Satan's going to be ready to make his chest move, if you will. But trust me, he can't make that one until God makes his. So God, holding back with his grace and mercy, God's got this thing called the bride of Christ. He's got this, this outfit called the body of Christ. He's got this day called the day of the Gentiles. God says, I'm going to fill it up. And when it's full, then Jesus is going to bust these clouds wide open. And uh, that's just what's going to happen. Here we go. Pergamos was a city that was loyal to the powers of Rome, therefore very dangerous, if you will, to Christians. Pergamos was a hub of pagan power and worship as we start moving into that into Pergamos. Now here's Pergamos. Here's the message to Pergamos as we go into this next church. The third of seven messages to the churches of Asia, minor, modern-day Turkey today, each message includes a specific word for the reader to consider. And we just come out of Smyrna, particular word for us to consider, going into Pergamos. Now let us not miss this word to this church. The third letter is to the believers in Pergamum, which was a beautiful art-filled city built along two tributaries of the Caucasus River. Pergamum was a center for worship. Can somebody get pronounced that? I looked it up. There you go, Dionysius. And it's because you've been there. You've been to Pergamum. Dionysius, Zeus, and other pagan gods. Now, as we look at this with Pergama, Pergama was actually placed from Rome as being the capital of, of that area. But I think Pergama was capital, and then they moved it down to Ephesus, I think. Or there's other way, vice versa, but I think it was Pergama and then Ephesus. And in all of these cities, you had the pagan, these pagan gods. Now, we're going to go on here. There is kind of, uh, uh, that's a um, picture of the, the Acropolis, as, it is, as it's called. Or is that Acropolis? It's the high place is what an Acropolis is. So in a lot of these uh, cities, they would be, uh, the paramount place would be what they would call the Acropolis. And it was a high place in the area. Therefore, it was fortified a lot of times the Caesar or whoever the ruling figures were, that's where their palaces would be on the very on the very top of what's called the Acropolis. And there you see one of the theaters uh, that was there uh, at Pergamos. And you can see the water there. A little, it was kind of on just two tributaries or two rivers, uh, big bodies of water that would go out to the ocean. Pergamum was one of the most important cities in the Greek age. It was culturally rich, extensive library at heart. And that, they were really into the arts and culture. Uh, according to the ancient uh, chronicler, uh, I can't say that one either. Somebody say it. Who? Yeah, okay. George there, the elder, 
the Library of Pergamum became so famous that it was considered to be in keen competition with the Library of Alexandria. Both attempted to accumulate the most complete collection of text, and they developed rival schools of thought and criticism. Now, as we look back into uh, to ancient uh, uh, Asia, if you will, they had incredible thinkers. Um, and the text and the things that were written, great philosophy, they weren't short at all on philosophy. Matter of fact, if you didn't have Google, it meant you had to think a lot, is what happened. So there's uh, Pergama. If you look down below Pergama, you got Smyrna. Go down below that, you got Ephesus is the first church. Go about 40 miles up to Smyrna from Ephesus, about 60 miles from uh, Smyrna up to Pergama. And you, can, uh, you can't see it on this rendering, but at Pergamum, there's a little bot uh, streams of water that actually go out. Uh, you can see Smyrna and Ephesus are, of course, right on the coast. Uh, Pergamum, though, still had water access. Now, let's look here at the, at the Scripture. Now, this is in verse 12. If you look into your Bibles, Revelation chapter 2, it says, And to the angel... Uh, of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. And so this is the church that's known about the two-edged sword uh, and the sharpness of the Word of God. Now, well, let's watch this. Pergamos is the church that is being undermined by corrupt practices and corrupt teaching. So what they had to watch for is this corruption. Now, they were in the seat, if you will. I mean, they were in Pergamos. And Pergamos was considered, Pergamos was the healing center, if you will, of Asia. People, they were known for their, for the gods of healing. So these corrupt teachings started coming into the church a little. Pergamos was a Roman capital of the province of, of Asia at one time. So as they, as they had these, they start, it's known as a healing center. It's amazing at what they use for healing. It will blow your ever-loving mind. And it doesn't look a lot different than us today. It was a center of pagan worship, and there was a temple to Caesar there also. So they had this pagan worship. It was known as a healing center. You can say, well, Alan, how could they, what, what was the healing deal? Well, you got to understand, here you got believing Christian Jews saying Jesus heals. In this pagan center that all of Asia would come to for healing if they were sick. Now, you're talking about a healing crusade. So you had this onslaught of people coming in to Pergamum for healing, and you had a, a bunch of little scrawny Christian Jews, probably skinny, running around saying, Jesus heals. Can somebody say, huge conflict? Huge conflict. Now, but I'm not too sure that the conflict's any more to then as it is now. Because if we're looked upon and you come to this church and we say, we'll pray for the sick, then uh, by 
not only the world, but even fellow brothers and sisters will look upon us as though we're a cult. And I'm sorry. I don't want it to be that way. Uh, at one time, I could agree with them. And I went through a bout of cancer. Can somebody hear my good English? I ain't doing that one again. Uh, for God to move my little hinder parts into the place of saying that I would pray for the sick and I would preach and teach that today God would heal. Now, I got to tell you, I was kicking and screaming all the way. You can say, well, Alan, how could you be that way? And I, I'll be on, very honest with you. Just Can I be very honest? Yes. In my brain... In my mind, Jesus still can't heal. But in my spirit, I know he can heal. I have his constant battle. I'm sure none of y'all have this. If God will heal or not. Well, Alan, you know that to be acceptable in today's Christianity, you don't push the healing envelope too far or they'll call you a cult or saying you're getting outside of the scriptures. Uh, maybe inside our circle, we think it's noble, but if you get outside of our circle, it's not looked upon as noble. So, church, you got to make a choice. Don't think that you won't constantly, I constantly have an internal battle about healing or not healing. I still have it. God drug me through a cancer bout in my life. He healed me. Now listen to this, how stupid I am. I can still look back on that event and wonder if it was really me. Do you, do you, can anybody feel my pain? <laughs> but then I start thinking about my Christianity, and I, th I think, well, I, I'm kind of the same way about my salvation. In my mind... Jesus can't save me from hell. In my mind, probably isn't a hell. That's right. In your mind. In your mind. If you're living in your mind, you're omission the kingdom of God. That's what happened here at Pergamos. I can make an argument in my mind against this book. Or I can escape into my spirit man. There, my spirit man's been born again. My mind is being born again. And I will get a new body. But this ain't it. So my mind's being converted. It's being born again. But you got to understand, your mind is not to be your end destination of living in the kingdom of God. It's your spirit. Now, I've opened up and had an honest conversation with you. And you might say, well, in Alan's mind, I thought he was a stronger Christian than that. I'm just being honest with you because I'm trying to communicate to you a truth about a Christian. You can stand in faith where you cannot stand in your mind. Your mind can't get you there. 
So there is a whole world out here outside of your mind. It's the world of the Spirit, of the Spirit of God, of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God's not in your mind. Your mind just brings confusion. Quit trying to convert your mind. Allow your spirit, man, to rule your life. It's there that you've been fully born again, is in your spirit. The mind's on the journey. So don't be too impressed with it. Amen? And if, if that left some of you confused or whatever, um, see Trevor. Don't see, don't see me. Talk to Trevor. I've been transparent. That's all I can do. Now, look at the scripture here. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein uh, Antipas was my faithful martyr. He was, he was killed there, who was slain among you where Satan dwells. He says there, where Satan's seed is. That's pretty stout. His angel said here uh, in Pergamos that this is where the seed of Satan is. And I'm, I'm like, you, got, you mean there's somewhere on earth that there's a seed of Satan? And let, let's look at it a little deeper and see what he was trying to do. In the 1880s, about 140 years ago, a German archaeologist working in the city of Pergamos removed that throne, the satanic seat, from the hillside and took it to Europe. So it, it, the what they're calling Satan's seat was also referred to as, as it was the temple of Zeus. It wasn't so much a temple, it was a place they did sacrifice. I guess you called it a temple. But it wasn't just a temple of Zeus, it was a place that they did a sacrifice up to 24 hours a day, seven days a week to Zeus. Now, today it is visible in a Pergamon museum. We'll look at a few photos in a minute in the city of East uh, Berlin. So this archaeologist, actually, he went there to, as he was to view it, the ruins. And there were farmers there taking the, the pieces of this, of this uh, whatever you want to call it. And he, they were taking pieces of it and burning it down to get the lime out of it to put on their fields. And so he was like flipping out. Oh my, oh my goodness. So he he went to the powers that be there and asked if he could remove it. And they said yes. So he takes his big task and he starts removing it to Berlin, which we will. So this this altar of Zeus is not in Pergamos now. It has been the the structure has been moved to to Berlin. But I, I think we might not be doing ourselves justice to think that the seat of Satan uh, is necessarily in Pergamos. The seat of Satan at that time was at the seat of the government. You got to understand something about Satan. He's always seeking those high places. He's always seeking the governments. He's looking for his seat in the governments of the world. Just so happens they had a live one right there with Zeus. Could there really be a place on earth that the devil has his seat or his throne? Pergamos was known for its practice of medicine, magic, and psychiatry to fight illnesses. Can you believe that? 
That's why people went to Pergamos. They also trusted in the false religion. So they took religion, mixed it with medicine, mixed it with magic, and mixed it with modern psychiatry of that day, which I don't know that we've improved on much. About the same thing. There was also one of the first uh, art museums there. Rome also made Pergamos the first capital of Asia until moving it later to Ephesus. Pergamos was very powerful and had huge political and religious and medical influence. Now, let's get into what was called the healing temples of, of Pergamos. This was a road that you, you had to travel on. The, the healing center, and I'll try to, when I get to the name, I'll try to pronounce it. Now, you had these Roman road, that road that came out of Pergamos and went to this healing center. The healing center was outside of town. This is the road that took you there. You followed a Roman road outside the city to the healing center. The god of healing, Asepulus, we're going to call him Asep, received worship in cultic centers around the Greek and Roman world. Aseptilus is his name. Supposedly when he was born, they had to do a C-section on his mother back then. He was born and he was alive. They saw it as a miracle. And so then he grew up and they saw him as a healing. He ended up being a healing god, uh, Aseptilus. Uh, this large complex at Pergama was originally constructed in the 4th century B.C. and became an official center in the 3rd century. So that Pergamos was known as this huge healing center. Now, that is a, a picture of actual ruins of some there at the healing center. Uh, and also there is a, a statue there of, I don't know if you can see it, but there's two snakes there. You see that? I mean, it was so amazing. They, they used snakes... Uh, was a symbol of healing. Now, you, you, Pastor Steve would not have passed that test. He would not have passed that test. He would not have approved. Now, here are some of the coins then. You can see the snakes uh, on the coins there. That's some coinage of, of Pergamos uh, that's found there at the site. Now, Asepolis at Pergamos. Now, that was a statue of him. And if you'll notice on his left hand, there's a stick with a snake. Looks familiar, doesn't it? There's a stick there, uh, and there's a snake around it. Now, this, this is actually another outdoor theater in the healing center because people, can you got to remember, came all over Asia. They went there, went to Pergamos, but then they went outside of Pergamos to this big healing center. That was the amphitheater. That's where they did a lot of the, the teachings of healing. And, but there again, remember, it was all done around these snakes, it was the idea of these snakes. They combine traditional medicine with psychiatry. Now here, I want you to hear me here just a second. I can't get, in, get into it, but I want you to drop this one thought. There's preachers today mixing the Word of God with modern day psychiatry. I'm sorry, it's a mixture. I'm not saying psychiatry can't help your brain, your mind. But I am saying that you got to come outside your mind. You got to let the Word of God just renew it. And there was a mixture. Now, what happens in psychiatry, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that somebody can't sit down and help you uh, with what we're going to call some type of psychiatry. Uh, uh, I'll call it psychiatry light. 
and gives you understanding to human nature. But also psychiatry, when, when you try to manipulate another person, you're using psychiatry. You didn't know I was talking to you, did you? That's witchcraft. Manipulation. You're using psychiatry. In other words, you're trying to outthink the other person. Most relationships are who can outthink who the quickest. And we say we're interacting, having a relationship. Now, there's a little more to that, and I'll get on to it here in a minute. Cephalus, he was considered the god of health and medicine is what happened with him. Thousands upon thousands came uh, to this city for healing. And Cephalus had a rod in his hand with a snake around it. There he is. He had a rod with a snake in it. The snake is an important symbol related to healing centers. There were various treatments such as dream therapy and hypnosis. They then would have dreams and visions of snakes coming to heal them. They would have priest doctors there that would interpret your dreams. So they'd have these meetings in the theater. These priest doctors would get in there and do what, I, what you would call mind projections. So that when people left these meetings, they'd go home or they'd sleep that night there. And they had these neat uh, dreams of snakes and visions. And so then you came back to the priest doctor and he would interpret them. Now, it's a funny thing. Now, here's what you got to understand. They believed if you had these dreams with these snakes, they would ask you, well, did the snake crawl on you in the vision or in the dream? And, then, and what, what they believed was if the snake got on you and crawled over you, that was healing powers. The reason they believed it to be healing powers is because they believed when the snake shed his skin that he was being born again. So they got into the terminology. People would go to Pergamos if they were sick to get healed and get born again using a snake. Now, you might think that's crazy, but have you watched the news lately? We're crazier than that, somebody. <laughs> I hate to wake you up to that thought, but, but, but we are. Now, I have but one regret. That is the presence of God is so here this morning, and I've got, now I'm talking on Pergamos, and I don't know how that's going to help the Spirit of God move because I, I told you some truth that you need to know, but I want to end it with this. The presence of God is in this place this morning. And if, if from one to 10, if a regular Sunday's a three, we're about at a six, seven already this morning. I just want everybody to know that. If you want to participate and, and us rise above that, I'm making a plea. We're going into worship now. Let's stand. It was a go into worship. The presence of the Lord is here. I, give you, I have given you truth as I see it. It's to train you, to teach you. But it's also for us to worship the true God, living God, that's here in power, and yes, He can heal. Not only that, His Spirit can fill you up to where your mind will come under subjection of your spirit also. 
So, Lord Jesus, we love you. Be with us this morning as we worship you. Be with us, O God. Anoint our worship team as they lead us. Anoint our worship that you might be glorified this day. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.